Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mr. Beacon Podcast is sponsored by Williot, scaling IoT with battery-free Bluetooth. Welcome to another episode of the Mr. Beacon Podcast. This week, we are talking to Saurabh Mishra, who uh, heads up product management uh, at SaaS for their Internet of Things offerings. Uh, so, Saurabh, thanks very much for uh, joining us on the program. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, delighted to be here on this podcast with you. SaaS is, is an industry behemoth, a giant, um, but you're also a private company, uh, fiscally speaking. You're not, mm -hmm. you, I couldn't buy shares in, in SaaS, even though I would like to because you're very successful. Um, but I think you, you've got a very interesting position in the market. Um, I imagine pretty much every large Uh, Fortune 500 company is using your software somewhere in a variety of analytical functions. And I always kind of thought of you um, in terms of the hardcore analytics work um, that, uh, uh, that has been part of our IT business for, for decades now. Um, So I think it's really interesting to talk to you because you're focused on the world that we live in, which is the Internet of Things. Um, and uh, I, I'm really looking forward to getting to know what the use cases are that you're seeing and how SaaS has responded with the tools and how they're different to what we might have been using 10 years ago when mm -hmm. the Internet of Things was just a, a glimmer in a few people's eyes. Before we get into that, let's just explain to people a bit more about SaaS, how big yep. you are, a little bit about the company. Can you give us a, a quick intro? Yep, absolutely. So in fact, SaaS um, might be the largest privately held software company around today. Um, so as you said, uh, we are pretty focused on analytics, so that's all we do. So that's, uh, that's kind of the focus Since the, since the day it was founded. So uh, we've been around for over 43 years. So SAS was founded in 1976 and still being led by the same founder, Dr. Goodnight. Uh, so we've had, as you can imagine, pretty consistent leadership from him throughout this time. And uh, yeah, analytics is really what we do, right? So, so there's a gamut of capabilities that, that we can talk about from that perspective that we have. Uh, but uh, Uh, we are worldwide a global company, so about 14,000 employees roughly uh, globally. I think we have presence in about 58 countries right now. Uh, six R&D centers across the world. Um, the headquarters is where I am based in, so uh, Raleigh area in North Carolina. A beautiful campus there, uh, which as you can imagine right now, I've not been able to go to for the past several weeks. Uh, but that's where, uh, that's the headquarters, that's where the core R&D group is present. And uh, we, uh, we have a, you know, we are a privately held company, but we, we do release the revenue and all of that. So just a little over $3.2 billion. Uh, and we've had consistent growth uh, for, for a long time. So, so yeah, really, really fortunate uh, from that perspective. And I think Dr. Goodnight is, is very focused on making sure that there is a, 
there's a culture of innovation that kind of continues to exist. And uh, I can tell you a data point from that perspective that I think around, uh, I think that if you, if you analyze the amount of reinvestment, some of these large corporations you know, put back into their R&D, SAS is probably one of the leaders, right? So the last number that I remember was, we put about 25% of that back into R&D. So that's been his, his focus uh, from, from a long time. And I think that has shown over the time, right? I mean, we've kind of withstood uh, a number of changes, uh, a number of disruptions in the industry. Uh, they're still pretty relevant to date. Well, I think, you know, my uh, perception of your company from the outside is there's a lot of loyal uh, people there because SAS treats its employees well. You've always done really well in these best places to work. And, uh, and I think... Uh, maybe because your capital is so tied around the brain power in the company that, uh, uh, that that's kind of a natural reason for having that kind of culture, but it kind of predates the excesses of the, the, you know, the Googles and, uh, the, the whole Silicon Valley thing where all of that stuff went, uh, crazy. But, um, uh, is it as, uh, tell me a bit about, how being a private company and uh, impacts the way people uh, are treated. And uh, just talk a bit about the culture uh, from that perspective. Yeah, sure. I mean, so, I mean, there is a lot of focus on making sure that as a workplace, we are, we are you know, definitely, uh, you know, uh, as a top workplace, right? So, you know, you talk about these surveys. So I think this is something that, you know, even before uh, a lot of these tech companies evolved that have these sprawling campuses and have a lot of facilities on the campus for employees, I think SAS has probably been doing this for a long time, even before this thing became a thing, right? Um, so the culture is, uh, I mean, it, it's a technology company at, at the core, right? So there is a, you will find a lot of just, just really creative, innovative people. And I think the, that's the, the, the whole aspect of people tend to stay here is, is a function of many things, right? Uh, I think one of the core aspects that drive that is is this just culture of innovation and and creativity that exists, right? I mean, there is just such a strong uh, you know kind of a peer group that you have here in talking to people who have uh, specialized degrees, specialized experiences. It's a very rich, interactive experience when you start to work with them in in, in, in let's say a project or any kind of initiative. So, I mean, that personally for me, I think is a big reason, right? Why, why, why I like being here. Uh, mm -hmm. That is, uh, I, mean, I mean, there's obviously things that everybody cares about, but you know, kind of when you put everything on a, on, on, the, on a table, I mean, that to me is one of the strongest reasons why, why I think people stick around here. I mean, and you kind of add other things and that just kind of becomes a, a big, uh, a, a big setup why people tend to just stick around here. Right. I mean, there is there's a good balance from a from a work life perspective. You are working on cutting edge products, right? I mean, SaaS has been doing analytics before analytics become became a hard thing, right? So we're still working on. I mean, the market is kind of you know, pretty hyped around machine learning and AI. I mean, at some level, this is what we've been doing for a for a very long time. So being able to just kind of work on that innovation has been has been a critical factor in, in driving and making sure that you know, employees. And stay here, uh, and and being a private company, I think there is you know obviously some level of flexibility, right? Because you're not you're not answerable to state you know stockholders or you know the stock market in general, right? So there is there is flexibility that that you have. Uh, you know, we're obviously you know you know a corporate, and we're looking for growth and all of that stuff. But there is certain flexibility that the the leadership. Uh, you know, is cognizant of, and they put that to the best use to make sure that we stay ahead of the curve at some level. We invest in areas which may be, which may not be immediate short term, let's say revenue areas, but something that we see going forward will reward us. Um, so I think it's it's kind of a package deal at some level. There's just a just a, a number of these factors that go us uh, go a long way in making us what we are from a from a good employer perspective. Yeah, I, I can think of public companies that, you know, when the pressure has got on them, activists, activist investors join the board and suddenly they look at, oh, all these benefits that the customers get. I'm sure you can, uh, sorry, employees get. I'm sure we could improve our profitability if we uh, 
economized a bit on the healthcare plan and all that sort of thing. And you guys are somewhat immune to that. Well, okay. I uh, don't want to uh, wallow in that uh, too much. Otherwise, everyone's going to get jealous and annoyed. So uh, let's <laughs> talk a bit more about the business. And, uh, um, you know, where does this revenue come from? Um, I've always thought of you guys as doing the kind of the really deep analytics as opposed to, you know, the visual, simple slicing and dicing visualization tools, the, uh, um, but, but I'm sure you, you do a broad set of things. Where is, where does most of the money come from? If you look at, if you were to slice and dice SaaS's business, how would you split it up in terms of the revenue that's being driven by the different functional tools and how, how do you look at it in different industry areas? Are there any patterns there that are of note? Yep, yep. Yeah, I can share, you some, uh, share with you some patterns, right? I mean, there's multiple dimensions that we can look at, right? So if I, if I look at it from, let's say, let's say a product stack perspective, so, so I don't have a breakdown of you know, how it gets allocated, but I'll tell you that at a very high level, I think of our product stack as two large buckets, right? One is kind of the, the analytical platform, which is essentially horizontal in nature. And, and you're right that you know, we, we do a, a fair bit of the advanced predictive type analytics, right? I mean, uh, analytics over the year has become a kind of a generalized term. Uh, everybody has some level of analytics that they're able to talk about. So we obviously do that. I mean, there is a fair bit of just being able to do visualization, reporting, that's, that's bread and butter. But we go beyond that with predictive analytics, uh, optimization, data mining, AI machine learning, streaming analytics, that is uh, an area that I think both of us care about and we'll probably talk about that more. So there is just a, a set of these horizontal platform type capabilities that we have, that, that we offer to the market. And then what I think of as a second bucket are more, more industry specific solution type capabilities that we have. So uh, some examples are going to be uh, like, we have solutions for predictive maintenance, a solution for production quality, customer intelligence, uh, fraud detection, let's say healthcare fraud, anti-money laundering. Uh, in fact, if I, I, I heard an anecdotal uh, example that if you swipe a credit card somewhere in the US and if you get detected that there was a fraudulent uh, you know, swipe, then chances are that that was detected by a SaaS algorithm. So the, we have uh, a number of those industry type solutions uh, that, that also contribute a lot. So I think the, the, the revenue is kind of based on both of these pillars. Uh, we have customers who come to us saying that, you know, we have a strong uh, analytical skill set of our own. What we need are the tools and the platforms to equip them. So they would be the customers that would be, uh, that would get positioned the platform. But we have other customers who come who are more line of business type customers who are like, okay, so I have a, manufacturing scenario here, and I'm looking to uh, streamline my production quality process. So do you have a solution for that? So that, that's how we kind of tend to think about from a product positioning perspective. So that's, that's one dimension. Uh, the other dimension is if you just look at our, our revenue. Uh, so historically, I think uh, like some of these large industries that you can imagine like banking and, and manufacturing, uh, healthcare, government, so these are all big contributors uh, to that revenue. So I mean, we have, I think, a fairly good split across the board in terms of this revenue. Uh, you were right about like the Fortune 500, right? I mean, so SaaS tends to, uh, you know, it is uh, more from an enterprise scale perspective is a recognized leader, right? So if, uh, if there is a need for a large enterprise company to think about you know, what, where would I get scalable software, which would kind of uh, uh, be uh, something that we can grow with uh, as opposed to like a small POC that we start and we are done with, uh, they would turn to SaaS. So we have a large uh, stack of these Fortune 500 customers. In fact, one of the stats I remember is that over 92% of the Fortune 100 companies are, are, are SaaS customers. So that's, that's kind of, you know, how I, I would distribute uh, where we are playing right now. And how has the delivery of those analytics changed uh, over the last few years? The cloud's obviously become a much mm -hmm. bigger factor here. Do you, are there any, uh, 
is there any preference or predominance in terms of how you uh, uh, monetize your software? Are you simply licensing software that people can run on premise or in the cloud or how, how is this delivered these days? Yeah, so, so that definitely is an area which has gone through a lot of shift over the last several years, right? I mean, um, so we uh, we are agnostic of the underlying infrastructure, right? So we don't have any um, any requirements that you have to be running this versus that. But if you just look at trends, uh, historically, a lot of our software was deployed on-prem, right? So these are large organizations that run their own data center, uh, their own IT staff, and they would they would license the software and they would deploy it on-prem. Uh, and that is still a pretty common pattern for us. Uh, a number of our large customers still manage their own data centers, although the underlying deployment technologies might be changing, but that's where they're deploying their software. But as you can imagine, obviously a lot of our customer bases are turning towards cloud, and a lot of new deployments are, are just starting with cloud, uh, which is fine because again, like I said, we are we're agnostic of the underlying infrastructure. Um, so, so, I mean, we can deliver software in a variety of ways. We can, we can deploy software on-prem for customers. Mm -hmm. We can deploy software in their cloud, uh, which can be a private cloud or a public cloud. Uh, we can host the software for them, right? So if they're just looking to solve a problem and not necessarily looking to get into how do I deploy it, how do I configure it? Um, so we have a notion of SaaS cloud so where we can actually host the software for them, and they can just access the software. Or if they want to completely abstract it, we can also position almost like results as a service for them, right? So let's say, let's say you are a retailer and you're trying to do this profiling of sizes, right? I mean, so you know, how many sizes of a particular SKU should I carry throughout a season? I mean, that's probably a problem you're going to require to solve maybe once in a season type, right? So if mm -hmm. you want to give us data and have us create that profile, like a one-time thing, um, so that could be a model where we just do a results service delivery. So there is a lot of flexibility in terms of uh, how we deploy our software and how we, let's say, have a kind of a engagement from a licensing perspective. That's good. Okay, let's get into the Internet of Things piece, which is your bread and butter on a daily basis. How does IoT analytics differ from everything else that you guys have been doing for a very long time? Why call it out as something different or special? Yeah, that's a, that's a great uh, question, right? So, I mean, at some level, uh, we have been doing IoT analytics for a long time. Right, because if you if you think about the underlying data that has existed, right? I mean, talk about sensor data, some of the textual data, uh, unstructured data uh, that has existed. Um, we really started thinking about IoT uh, a few years back. So I was uh, I was part of the retail product management group within SaaS. So that's kind of my background. Before SaaS, I actually worked for retail companies and retail software is one of the things that I've done in the past. So when I came to SaaS, I did that. I, I, we have retail solutions that we offer to large retailers, let's say from a price optimization perspective or in that space. So that's kind of my background. But we started looking at, uh, you know, one of the initiatives that was happening was actually a beacon initiative where somebody was installing beacons in a building and they were doing just like a fun app to track, you know, how people are moving around in the building, where are they spending time and things like that. And so I was involved with that. And then um, we just started thinking about this, like, you know, what's going on with this IoT space, right? I mean, we obviously have dealt with this from, a, let's say, manufacturing customers have had this data. Our uh, energy customers have had this data and we've dealt with that. But we just saw enough uh, uh, kind of organization happening within the market that we thought that, there's a number of reasons why we need to approach it with some sort of a focus here, as opposed to just regular SaaS. Um, and those reasons were a few I can enumerate is that there was a strong focus on um, that, that we saw on being able to run on devices or edge as we call it, right? Because we quickly saw that all of this data is not going to make its way to, to the data center or the cloud there has to be more of a distributed processing. And that was 
important for us, right? Because we actually, if I step back on the product side, although we are known for the analytics part of it, but we also have a fair bit of data management capabilities in our product stack. And the traditional model has been that you have data as an organization, that data could be in files and databases, message queues or whatever. Before we can do analytics on it, we do data management on it. But the driver was that you create this big data lake or a data warehouse, that's analytics ready. And then you analyze that data. Well, guess what? That model was not going to work for IoT because all of this data was just not going to make its way to this data lake that you had set up. So this is where we needed to kind of almost turn the problem. Rather than bring the data to the analytics, we had to take analytics to the data. So this was a completely different way of looking at how we've done analytics. So it required a different approach just from a product positioning perspective. So that's, that's one big factor. The other was the way we go to market, right? I mean, so we, we go to market, uh, you know, with, with the customers, large enterprise customers, as we talked about, but from an IOT perspective, what, what quickly became apparent was that analytics was one of the things that an IOT use case is required, right? It was an important thing and we do that well, but to truly solve an analytics use case, I mean, I think of it as a, as a stack that has a number of layers and you need to have uh, hardware, you need to have connectivity, you need to have, let's uh, uh, say there is data producers. So there's a number of other complementary layers that need to come together to kind of fit this puzzle. And our go-to-market should adapt so that it can coexist in this new ecosystem paradigm. So that kind of led us to this notion of partner ecosystems, right? And that is a huge part of, uh, of what drove the, the formation of uh, you know, a separate group within SaaS focused on IoT. So I would say the two driving factors was just the fact that you know, the underlying data required a different way of tackling from an analytics perspective. So you know, distributed analytics was a big focus. And then the go-to-market required a lot of uh, partner ecosystem type drivers around it. So those two kind of necess- were the necessary drivers in creating a more separate focus group for IoT. So that's how we are thinking about it. And we've been at this thing for, for a little over two years now. Doing it this way. Ah, so very interesting. So give us give us some examples of both of those aspects. Then, how can you put a bit more meat on that bone of how you might distribute the data gathering in an IoT environment? Any examples you can think of? of that? Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a, a number of examples. So for, uh, I mean, I'll give an example actually that brings both of these aspects: uh, the whole distributed analytics and the partner ecosystem driven go to market in the mix. So we started work, working with uh, uh, GE Transportation, which has since kind of changed around given some of the changes that happened at GE. And it's actually uh, owned by a company called Waptech. Uh, but they actually have a platform that they position to their end customers who are tier one railroad operators. So large railroad operators in the US and in Canada. So, I mean, obviously think about, think about a locomotive going, traveling in you know, uh, remote places, less connectivity, no connectivity, all of that stuff, but still generating a, a lot of data, right? Uh, so that required a, a, a scenario where we needed to position something on the train itself. So they have, they have a device that uh, they actually call brain on the train. It's a large uh, computer. That, that sits on the train, um, all the subsystems on the train connect to it. So there's a fair bit of data coming into that thing. And they wanted the ability to be able to process that data locally without the requirement of constant connectivity to the cloud. So they, they obviously run the backend in the, in the cloud somewhere. So that required us to position the, the, you know, the streaming analytics capabilities that you and I have talked about in the past. So we actually run the engine on, the, on this device itself. Uh, and in this case, our, so they are not, they're not an end customer for us. They are actually a partner, right? So they have their platform and we augment their platform with the streaming analytics capability that is embedded inside their platform. And then they, when they go to customers, you know, we kind of go with them and we, we join forces to kind of implement customer scenarios. So that's an example where we are actually on the train itself 
analyzing data. And this can cover a gamut of use cases, right? Because this is, again, this is more of a platform positioning. So we're not just solving one use case. But when we started doing something like this, I mean, some of the use cases that we got were like, you know, this thing is a sophisticated analytics platform. It can do like real AI on the edge. But the use cases that we were dealing with were like, you know, a, a, a locomotive has been stationary in the same place for over five minutes. Can you create an alert for that to the driver? Like, yeah. We can. Um, so, yeah. I mean, so you have to just think about it, right? I mean, sometimes from a, from a tech perspective, we tend to kind of think about all of these sophisticated computer vision, AI at the edge, but real yeah. customers may require far simpler things. That Can you yeah. create an alert if a locomotive has not moved for over five minutes in the same location? Uh, well, I think anyone that's been watching Breaking Bad uh, using this time in lockdown to catch up will know why it's very important to be able to track a locomotive that's been stuck in one place because they may be right, so siphoning I, off all sorts of uh, important materials and so forth. Exactly, because if you think about it, uh, the rationale is based on cost, right? So for, for these large locomotive right. operators, fuel is the number one cost. So any small dent they can make on the fuel consumption is uh, is big dollars saving for them, right? So that's where their mind is uh, in terms of cost savings. Yeah, these um, yeah the, these these devices that you're monitoring are, are, are platforms, aren't they? I, I, and I imagine you can extend the same thing to automotive and these cars. I, I mean, I, I'm just sort of amazed at how much software is now in an automobile. And uh, so I imagine the same rationale there would be, a, would apply to that. Uh, what about uh, manufacturing? I'm really interested to know what does IoT look like in a manufacturing context for you guys? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. You, you do some work in that area, don't you? Yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, so manufacturing has been actually one of our strongest verticals, even going back in the history of SaaS. And then that continues to be a pretty strong vertical from an IoT perspective. So we're doing a, a number of interesting use cases. Um, I can tell you some examples. Um, so one example is a company that makes, uh, that makes uh, wall boards and they had this uh, conveyor line where the, where the wall boards are moving. And uh, there would be times when the wall boards would kind of collide with each other. And some of these collisions could result in a jam. And you know, if that happens, that's a bad thing, right? If the conveyor line gets jammed, it stops. That means the operations stop, and then you know there's a, there's a these companies have a process to kind of get around it, right? And things stop. Somebody comes in, and you may who knows how long the thing is down. So that's loss of productivity. And some of these environments are, I mean, you you probably appreciate that they're not designed to have modern infrastructure from day one, right? So you're thinking of like you know how can I fit something in this environment without ripping and replacing. Uh, because they don't want to stop everything and kind of just get into an infrastructure project at the time. So uh, one uh, interesting use case that that we that we are doing is there's this happened to be a security camera 
on on top of this conveyor line. So it was a security camera, right? I mean, just meant for security purposes. But it's it's picking up the feed as the conveyor is moving around. So uh, we 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 are able to kind of grab that feed of the security camera, and we trained a model. Uh, so this is a, a classic computer vision use case where we are actually doing object detection. So we look at these wall boards and we are seeing how the wall boards are moving. But we go beyond the just the regular object detection. We are able to kind of ID the wall board. So we assign a unique identifier to each wall board. We determine the edges of the wall board, and then we do some basic geometry to find the center of the wall board. And then we then start to track the the distance between two successive wall boards based on these centroids. Uh, and then we are able to kind of forecast, like if the distance is getting shorter, then there is a tendency for this thing to collide. So that is we used to then preempt uh, a collision, right? So we are able to kind of start to alert that you know there is a you know, red thing coming if the distance is getting shorter. So that is, I think, a, a, a really good example of a sophisticated computer vision technology working in a today's manufacturing environment where we didn't have to rip and replace any infrastructure using a security um, camera's feed to actually detect the motion of the wall board and to get to a situation where we are able to uh, preempt a collision and and raise an alert so that they can react to it and somebody can you know separate them out or whatever is their remediation um so that's that's one example that i'm like you know this is really cool this is commodity stuff right i mean yeah it's i i love one of the things i love about my job is it's less so now but uh, you get this excuse to go on site into these manufacturing facilities and i remember uh, being on site at a place, the clothing, one of the biggest clothing companies in the world. And it was almost like a science fiction movie. You go into this sleepy town in Europe, beautiful piazzas, traditional ancient town, and you go a few miles outside and you essentially go into this underground complex, which is seems like miles long where it's all robotic and you see just incredible technology that automates the flow of, uh, of, of, of how things are, are, are produced. And I think, you know, we get into this technology business because we're basically nerds. And then you, yeah. you get some of the machinery that's used uh, making, uh, making exhaust pipes. So this is, uh, this is a uh, ceramic filament that goes into your exhaust pipe and just seeing how these are made it's a joy uh, and then yeah. but it's kind of almost like 19th century stuff furnaces and that sort of thing but oh actually they're using angle of arrival to track uh, various things that I won't go that is, go that is absolutely correct right yeah I, I, last year I was uh, up in the New England area visiting a, a customer a shoe manufacturer and, and they were trying to modernize their shoe production line. Uh, and this was again, one of those scenarios where, you know, this is an existing production line and they were trying to figure out what's the best way to kind of speed up certain processes that were holding up the production line, but they did not want to rip in the place. So we were thinking of how can we augment this existing infrastructure, put cameras here, put some RFID trackers to be able to track, like first is to be able to measure where the slowing down is happening. Uh, and they didn't, and they were using like a like a like a shoe would be marked. Like this is how long it takes for a shoe to move from position A to position B because they would mark that shoe, and somebody would be like, oh, I got that shoe. It I registered it at this time, and now I got it at this time. So this is how long it took. So there is, you know, obviously some level of automation that you can bring in that process by being able to scan things or being able to, you know, just kind of have some tablet where people enter this. So a lot of these initiatives. Uh, these days are starting with us kind of working with some of these customers where other partners come in. That's where the partner ecosystem is such an important part. Before even we get to the analytics part of it, there's a, there's a almost a phase where we're thinking about, okay, do you have the right infrastructure? And if not, who are the other partners in our ecosystem who can bring, let's say the right uh, um, RFID tags or uh, gateway technologies, uh, um, industrial PCs, you, you name it, cameras, things like that, that could first be defined, uh, but first be installed to define your infrastructure before we can do any analytics with it. All right, let's double click and get even more specific about IoT. So you have this uh, platform called the Event Stream 
processing uh, platform. Tell us a little bit about what that is, the rationale between how, uh, for, for how that's structured and, and the kind of projects that you're, uh, how it works and the kind of projects that we're, uh, that you're doing with that. Uh, you know, what is event stream processing? Sure. Yeah. So, so event stream processing actually falls in this space called uh, a complex event processing. So a CEP, right? I mean, so the underlying idea behind the CEP is that it's uh, it's designed to process complex events that are that are coming to it constantly. So I think the the origin of CEPs is from uh, capital trading uh, because there's trades coming, high frequency trading happening, and you are kind of you kind of processing that and, and analyzing that to figure out what's going on. So that's, that was the genesis, if, if I remember right, for these platforms. So we actually uh, invested in this a uh, long time back, right, before we even formalized the IoT group within SaaS. Uh, because uh, one, of the, uh, one of the gentlemen who actually uh, is at SaaS, who leads the R&D behind this, actually has done a number of CEPs in his previous life. And he, he knew that the the combination of a CEP where we are talking about just event processing with analytics is going to be a killer app, right? So he came to SaaS with that vision and he built out this platform, which we call SaaS Event Stream Processing Ground Up. So his goal was to be able to bring world-class CEP, which is essentially being able to process millions of events per second uh, and combine that with analytics. So that's what resulted in SaaS Event Stream Processing. Now it's actually, uh, I think of, I mean, I'm obviously biased, but I think it's an incredible product. It is, uh, it is flexible. Uh, you, you actually have an engine which is small enough. You can actually put it in a small Docker container and I can give you, and I it can run on a small gateway device. We have use cases that are happening on Raspberry Pi type things, more, more from a POC perspective. But we run the same engine on that train example that I talked about. We, and the same engine in a cloud scenario. So uh, another customer example is uh, Volvo Trucks. Um, they have a fleet of their trucks in North America, close to 200,000 trucks, sending telemetry data all the time. And we run this engine at their, in the backend environment there, uh, analyzing this data all the time. So this is all the telemetry data, this is fault codes. So we're able to kind of understand and figure out like what's going on with these trucks. So when the truck pull in, we have already analyzed the data and it kind of helps reduce the diagnosis and repair time. But, but going back to event stream processing, so it's really this, uh, this platform that allows you to bring analytics to data in motion, right? So again, there's a different paradigm. Earlier, we used to bring data to rest and then apply the analytics on it. And we're turning that around. We are bringing analytics to data in motion. So that's the, that's the core idea behind it. And, and it's a, versatile platform, it allows you to do simple things like, you know, if you wanted to do SQL type logic on data in motion, and so you could have a number of incoming data, data elements, and you're doing SQL type logic, math thing, you can do that. Uh, you are looking for a particular pattern that in my stream, if event A happened, followed by B, followed by C in this time interval, raise an alert, I can do that. But where it gets really interesting is that we're able to combine all of this with, with, with machine learning now. Um, so for example, we have um, algorithms that are trained to detect outliers, right? So even if you haven't trained this data, if you have just an, a new source of data that started to throw, this, these algorithms will understand the steady state of the asset, let's say, from where the data is coming from. And then once it understands the steady state, it can begin to report against that steady state that I've seen a deviation and how bad the deviation is. Now, in this case, there's enough for you to go and do something with it. But what we truly want to do is that over time, if I have enough data about this asset, then I can actually create a predictive model that when this asset fails, these are the parameters that are indicative of that failure. And then I can actually bring that inside the, the event stream processing and that way, as soon as I begin to show signs of that kind of behavior, I can alert somebody. Uh, the other aspect where ESP comes in is that if a lot of times when we are going to customers, they have their data science teams working with open source, right? So they're doing Python stuff, they're using um, other open source frameworks. 
uh, and which is fine right because that's that's just the nature of you know what what we live in right now so we can also take an open source algorithm and operationalize that within event stream processing so we can create a pipeline where we are getting data in you may be using some saas esp functionality to manipulate the data but in a subsequent step you already have an analytic that you built let's say with python you can actually use that and then do whatever else you have to do so it can combine saas plus open source in a pretty easy way um so that is it's a it's a platform that has a developer environment drag and drop we also have programming interfaces if you are python programmer you don't have to deal with the drag and drop in the ui environment uh the engine is uh, is what does the the core processing and that's lightweight so it can go on the edge small devices and we can also take it to the cloud so it's pretty versatile from that perspective so understand how you could use this for predictive maintenance you start to see patterns that require uh, attention and um how might um is this something that uh, brands or retailers could use as well what what sort of use cases would there be yeah so we have uh, a few use cases going on with uh, retailers right now um, so um, there's use cases around let's say next best offer customer intelligence kind of use cases so uh, again combination of uh, location prior purchase history uh, could be uh, data elements that you are combining to create uh, let's say an, what's the next best interaction you should have with this customer so this is where we kind of tend to link together some of the saas offerings that we have in the in the retail space combine that with the same stream processing Uh, so we have customer intelligence capabilities um, that you know we position into retail and other hospitality but uh, the use case that i'm talking about is focused on let's say you have a you have a retailer's app on your phone uh, and, and and you enter a store and you are uh, you know just spending some time near a particular product particular aisle so all of this data can be analyzed in real time and if if you you know the amazons of the world are doing it online you could replicate the same behavior in the store so this is you know kind of a next best offer kind of a use case that that may have some real time requirement that we can support um the other use case of, uh, that we're seeing is around the inventory part of it uh, because uh, shrinkage uh, continues to be a huge drain for some some of these retailers uh, so to be able to understand uh, where my inventory is in real time is, is of big importance so a simple scenario that we were looking at is that sometimes that is is inventory missing on the shelf but you might have inventory in the in the back room so to be able to track what's the status of the inventory on the shelf and you know be able to generate some alerts in real time could be of value so so we are seeing some interest in that uh, and that really is something that can be extended in multiple fronts because ultimately you are talking about some level of computer vision that is uh, keeping a watch on the inventory and uh, i'm i'm seeing use cases and this is where in retail especially it gets a little interesting because of privacy concerns but mm. uh, you know i'm coming across use cases where people are saying that we could actually monitor the expiration date of perishable products so as because you know you probably been at times when you've gone into a store and like you know this stuff is expired or close to expiry and it's a bad taste for the customer so be able to create alerts for that Uh, we actually have a simple scenario where we talk about missing inventory misaligned product misplaced product be able to catch all of those scenarios in real time and create alerts uh, so there's there's a few use cases in retail that we're we're dealing with that yeah this is almost segueing into another area which i'm interested in which is logistics and supply chain and uh, and so forth are you seeing iot analytics in that area i mean so much of we're thinking now about now we're trapped in our homes the whole supply we're very very acutely tuned to how well a supply chain is working how long we have to wait for something to be delivered uh and things missing on shelves in uh um in um in, in supermarkets uh, do you, are you seeing any iot applications in for analytics in in the supply chain area so we've seen some use cases uh, in uh, cold chain monitoring that is uh, that is an area that uh, there is uh, i mean i i i tend to 
look for patterns where there is a need for you to monitor something constantly or there's a need for you to monitor a constant stream of data right for for, for us to kind of really have an iot story so cold chain monitoring is is one of those use cases uh, so fair bit of requirement there for uh, you know healthcare uh, pharma companies have requirements around that uh, you know came across an interesting use case from a from a agriculture perspective where you know, when they're transferring livestock, they have requirements to maintain a certain level of uh, temperature, humidity, and, and that kind of a combination. Um, so, uh, yeah, cool chain monitoring is kind of the closest one that, that comes yeah. to mind. Very good. Well, fascinating to hear what you are working on and how SaaS has evolved into serving this area, which we find so interesting. Um, you just before we sign off, you did mention Bluetooth beacons and uh, and the retail. What retailers were interested in with that? Can we go back to that? Is there anything else that you can add to what you know? What is it that retailers wanted to know from an analytics perspective about uh, Bluetooth beacons? So I mean, I I tend to think about that. Uh, you know, they are interested in the location data, right? I mean, location is a is a pretty core element of what, what they're interested in and being able to kind of understand where the customer is, right? I mean, that customer journey is really important. So there's a there's a couple of aspects where I think, uh, I think Bluetooth or location plays a role. Um, one, as, as people are you know, kind of navigating a physical store, right? Being able to, understand where customers are, what path are they taking in the store, how much the time that they spend in this area versus the other area, just being able to understand that. And that has ramifications both from what offer you might serve up to that customer, uh, or in the long run, how should you design stores altogether, right? I mean, is, is there a different layout that's going to facil facilitate that, that motion is important. Um, the other aspect where that is important is what we call omni-channel analytics, right? Because predominantly, most of the retailers also have an online presence. So if you are, a, so Steve, if you are in the store and you've also been online, so to be able to kind of combine that world where what you did online kind of has uh, to have that understanding before you serve up an offer or an interaction to a customer in the store that you just identified through a location or Bluetooth tagging is important. So there's a fair bit of analytics that goes in there in terms of like what's the what's the right offer or right promotion or right interaction in general that you can offer to the customer. Um, so that I think is a is a pretty broad area. I mean the the one area that I think about from an IoT perspective that you know I try and understand every time I think about use cases is that they have to do at a very simplistic level one of two things. Uh, there has to be some either cost saving, right? So you have to save cost at some level or you have to make the experience better at some level, right? Mm -hmm. So I think in, in just an order of priority, anytime you talk about cost savings, that will, that will trump the experience for most of these organizations, right? So that's where we see uh, a slightly more uh, acceleration in terms of the industrial IoT side, where we're talking about assets and you're talking about reducing downtime or you know, reducing uh, you know, scenarios where production has to be down, things like that. Uh, they, that because there is a direct impact of something like that on, on cost, right? So going back to there's like the fuel example, even if I can prevent the fact that a locomotive has to be idling for X minutes has a direct impact to the bottom line of that, of that operator. The, the challenge with some of these uh, retail use cases that I see, especially when you're talking about next offer or next interaction perspective, is they're making the experience better, right? So in the long run, yes, you can tie that to, to revenue and maybe increased conversions or things like that. But in the short run, that's a little bit of a challenge that you have to have a champion in the organization that understands the benefit of that and can take, take this message along inside the organizations. Uh, otherwise, you might be better off focusing on things that do have a direct impact on on, on the revenue, so loss prevention or shrinkage or things like that. So that's at least you know kind of a simplistic lens that I put on at times just to kind of uh, you know, bifurcate these two words. Yeah, I mean it's great having simple 
mental tools that you can use when you're when you're looking at the business case behind these things. And uh, I, I like it whether you can save money or make money. Very yeah. good. Well, Sarah, thanks uh, so much for your time. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Great to hear what SaaS is doing in IoT and more more broadly. Uh, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, I enjoyed the conversation and I look forward to seeing uh, what we can do together going forward. If you were to have three songs that you were going to listen to on a long journey, which ones would you listen to? Huh. Okay. So let's say if I had three songs, I would do, um, I mean, these are all probably going to be Bollywood songs. So it depends on the audience, if they relate to it or not. Yeah. Uh, there is a, there is a song that came out a couple of years back. It's called Dil Diya Galla. Uh, it's it's a it's a ballad, a soft song. So so I like that a lot. And my daughters have been trying to play that on the piano. So I've been listening to that. Um, I do. I used to listen to a lot of Brian Adams when I was growing up. So so 18 till I die is like you know one of my all-time favorites. Um, okay. I think I would I would keep that. Um, I actually used to listen to a lot of Nirvana when I was growing up as well. So, so Kurt Cobain is, you know, one of my absolute favorites. So, any song of his would, would be another one that I would. Okay, name, 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 name one that uh, springs to mind. Uh, actually, I was just listening to something uh, the other day. Uh, it was I didn't realize it was his death uh, anniversary, and uh, I forget the song. He was playing the song on the stage. Uh, uh, I, I just, I just don't remember it. Um, I mean, I can I can have the music playing in my mind right now, but I just I just don't remember the lyrics. So if you, I don't know if you teenage spirit is that one of his? I, I can't remember. I, I don't know. It was not that. Uh, no. Yeah, I have to I have to look it up. But uh, but fair fair enough. Well, um, that's good. I, I I think Bollywood's amazing, and I feel like our modern video industry owes a lot to Bollywood that those sort of classic dance sequences where the whole cast in a movie is dancing and, and then you kind of watch MTV type stuff and it's like the same thing. So. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's like this larger than life kind of a setup where you have 200 background dancers and maybe changing costumes midway. <laughs> uh, that is a pretty Bollywood, right? I mean, that's why you would My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 